Chapter Three of His First and Last Appearance by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Three, in which the reader, going back to the month of November in the city of New York, is witness to a music lesson that was never finished. As Mr. John Dunn's nice sense of delicacy had moved him not to take advantage of the artless boy's candor, he went his way accordingly, after parting from Philip, with his curiosity aroused, but unsatisfied. The reader of this voracious narrative, however, has privileges not accorded to Mr. Dunn, and may, without any vulgarity of curiosity, go behind the scenes, and there learn the incidents which led to the presence of Master Philip Lachance in the city of Milwaukee. Hence we at once go back to New York, and to the preceding month of November. It is a chill, gloomy day. The sun has worn several hours, yet his rays, dimmed to some extent by the thick autumnal haze, are almost completely obscured in a tenement quarter of the great metropolis by an unhappy combination of smoke and dust. On the third floor of a dilapidated-looking tenement house there is a fairly large room which looks down upon the narrow street below a street not overly clean by reason of the dirt and vegetable matter which are inoffensive evidence and not over quiet by reason of the raucous vocal hucksters and the shouting screaming little street arabs in this room and in various positions are a woman a little girl and two boys the larger boy we have already encountered it is philip a chance of the wonderful soprano voice the child of five is charlie his younger brother Charlie is happily engaged with some toy blocks which have seen better days, and Philip standing over him is superintending with much vivacity the enwrapped young architect. Marie, a pleasant-faced girl of about twelve, seated beside a table on which are spools of thread, needles, pins, and the things that go to the making of a housewife, is plying a busy needle with all the airs of an industrious matron. She is poorly, though neatly clad, only the eye of a woman or of a dry-goods salesman would take in at a glance that her clothes are old poor and of an inferior quality an ordinary layman would be impressed with the taste neatness and elegance of her appearance her little face not quite so chubby as philip's is shining with grave contentment she feels that she is helping mother occasionally she raises her eyes from her work and changing for the moment her look of contentment for a graver air looks reprovingly at her brothers. They are, after their kind, rather noisy. "'Now, Philip,' she said presently, when that youngster had broken into a shout over the collapse of his brother's latest block building, "'Now, Philip, remember that Mama is not at all well. Be quiet, dear, like a good boy.' Philip, becoming grave and silent at once, cast a look of troubled inquiry at his mother. She was seated in a rocking-chair, her head bent down and her temples pressed between her hands. The boys recognized the attitude. His mother took that position whenever she was either ill or melancholy, and, I am sorry to say, she was in the one condition or the other many times in the course of a month. Mrs. Lachance, as Philip gazed, raised her head. She had a proud, strong, imperious face, a face that had once been singularly handsome, but upon which poverty and suffering and worry had written lines and wrinkles and pathos. Her eyes, deep and heavily fringed, told the story of a life that had known fellowship with bitterness and disappointment. She was a sad woman. Though she could not be more than forty, all the spring, all the elasticity, all the buoyancy of life, 
had left that face in years long since past, and left it never to return. Mrs. Lachance had ever been a puzzle to the other dwellers of the tenement. She was respected, she was feared, but she was not loved. Some held that she was haughty and gave herself airs, others that she was soured and saddened by the dissipated life and the sudden death of her graceless husband, a bohemian of artistic temperament, whose death, apparently, had been the most convenient thing in his record. But differ as people might on these points, all were agreed that Mrs. Lachance had a history, and that whatever it was, it would never be revealed from her lips. Again, all were agreed that she must be a fallen-away Catholic. Her children practiced their religion with scrupulous exactness. Philip and Marie attended the parochial school, and Isabel, just lately turned eighteen, was in the graduating class of St. Mary's Academy. On Sunday it was the custom of Isabel to receive Holy Communion at an early Mass, and then, returning home, to take Philip and Marie to the later service. In the afternoon they attended Vespers and Benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament, but no one in the neighborhood had ever seen the mother attend religious services of any sort. Yet, to do her justice, it was admitted by all that she took more than ordinary care of her children. Philip and Marie were rarely allowed to go upon the street, and when they were outside, they were carefully shielded from bad company and evil influence. In consequence of this sheltered system, rendered necessary by the nature of their surroundings, Philip was very innocent, very unsuspicious, and, indeed, though he was ten years of age, he had the pretty, innocent ways of a child of seven. In looking at his mother, Philip noticed that the usual paleness of her face had given way to a strange flush. Something must be wrong, he reflected, and he eyed her more earnestly. Mama, he said, running up to her and catching her hand, aren't you sick? Oh, how hot your hand is! Marie laid her side her sewing at these words, and placing herself beside the boy, put one arm around Philip's neck and the other around the mother's. "'You do look ill,' she said. "'I'll be better presently, my dears. It is a passing dizziness. Don't worry.' She had raised her head to address them, but the effort was too much, and again letting her head fall, she buried her face in her hands. Philip went back to his brother, satisfied. But Marie was not convinced. There was a change in the tone of her mother's voice which had not escaped her. Withdrawing her arm gently, she slipped quietly from the room. Outside the room, she hurried down one flight of steps and tapped softly at the door immediately to her right. In prompt answer to the knock, there appeared a young woman, stout, rosy, smiling. The dainty lace cap, the wide-spreading apron, and the starched dress which crinkled as she moved, revealing the professional trained nurse. "'Oh, I thought it was the doctor, but you are ever bit as welcome, my little dear,' she said with a kindly grasp of welcome. "'And what can I do for you, Marie?' she continued, still holding and patting the little hand. "'Please, Miss Devereux, you have been so good to me that I do not feel at all afraid to ask you a favor.' "'Thank you, Marie. Ask it at once.' I think, ma'am, that Mama is quite sick. Couldn't you please run up and see what's the matter with her? Certainly, Marie, but I can't get away just now, as I'm expecting the doctor to come any moment to see my patient, but I'll be up in half an hour or so. Thank you, ma'am, and Marie turned away. 
she was about to go back to her mother when a heavy shuffling step upon the stairs caused her to turn smilingly to greet the new arrival she knew the step slow and shuffling professor himmelstein was coming to give philip his vocal lesson good morning professor she called ah cried the man raising his spectacled eyes the severe lines of his face softening instantaneously ah my little girl it is like the sunshine to see you it gives me the fresh heart of grace come and help an old man the stairway up the professor as he spoke having taken off his hat bowed profoundly though it must be confessed with some awkwardness he was a thin spare man of medium height being very near-sighted he had a trick of wrinkling his brows and contracting his eyes when he looked at anything intently his complexion was dull and sallow and save for his fiercely luxuriant moustache his face was clean-shaven he wore his hair long it was iron-gray and fell almost to his shoulders in contradiction of the fierceness of his upper lip was the mild gentle eye and the sweet peaceful mouth yet that eye could kindle with enthusiasm and when the professor discoursed on some topic dear to his heart it danced and scintillated behind his strong spectacles under his left arm he carried a violin case marie gave the professor her hand and together they ascended the staircase mama isn't very well professor so the professor raised his eyebrows and grew concerned she looks bad miss devereux the nurse is coming up to see her in a few minutes so and where is my young lady isabel what says she she went out about an hour ago it's saturday you know and i think she's gone to church she may be gone an hour she's always a-praying i wish i was as good as isabel she is one saint said the professor as they entered the room mrs lachance was still in the same position holding her head between her hands good morning good morning mrs lachance said professor himmelstein gently ah philip so my good woman you look a little beside the weather mrs lachance had risen she supported herself by placing her hands on the back of the chair good day professor she said i'm a thought worse than usual to-day perhaps the music lesson would interfere with your health so oh no i will go to my room and lie down philip's voice and your violin are nice to listen to even when one is sick you hear that philip cried the professor beaming what a lofty thing is the voice a beautiful voice is something that has been stolen from the angels and you are a thief philip now my boy stand up and breathe philip as his mother left the room took his position head erect chest expanded his hands clasped behind his back professor himmelstein meanwhile opened his case and taking out his violin executed a little fantasia of his own composition lightly and deftly his fingers ran up and down the strings while the violin wailed and sobbed and exulted in response to his inspired touch as he played his dim eyes grew brighter and brighter and seemed to gaze to the walls before him into the far-away land which only they may see who are dowered with the soul of the artist the impromptu short and lovely came to an end with a flourish of sweet lingering notes so cried the professor frowning at philip then began a course of scales and intervals starting on f on the e string professor himmelstein coaxed philip's voice higher higher till the room was filled with golden sweet throbbing little notes which rivalled the bird's first sweet rapture in the early spring 
"'Stow!' almost sung the professor, mopping his brow. "'It is well. The waste is loyfully. We shall now make it as flexible as it was not already before. Here, Philip, follow me with your voice.' Professor Himmelstein then proceeded to lead the marvellous young voice a fairy dance among the sweet notes that lurk high up the shrilling E-string. Up and down with astonishing intervals went the flexible and thrilling voice, playing at hide-and-seek among the tones of the upper register. Philip, all this time, stood erect, his eyes fastened upon the professor's face, in which he could almost read the coming change in pitch, his ears all attention to the latest variation in the violin's high treble. As the golden notes came quivering on the charmed air, filling it with the loveliness of sound, Marie, clasping her hands and gazing into Philip's face, became a living, breathless statue. Charlie, however, was not so carried away by the melodious utterance as to neglect his blocks. He continued to build. It happened by and by, then, that just as he was completing a most wonderful edifice, the foundations gave way, and the building fell to the floor with a crash. Philip's attention was distracted. His eyes wandered, his ears lost their alertness, and in response to a difficult interval, he troubled forth a note that caused the listening Marie to start and shiver. At the moment, the professor, his eyes closed, his lips and features, moving with every note, was in an ecstasy. On the wings of music, his soul had been raised high, high, beyond the bounds of space and time. This single flat note brought him back to earth with a rude jolt. Ock-got, he cried, throwing his violin on a chair, and raising eyes and hands to heaven. It was the voices of the angels that I hear, and already it is a squeak of a mouse. He tore out his hair and began striding heavily up and down the room. It is the pearls and the swine. He has the pearl of a voice, and he is a swine. Swine is what I say. He went on, stopping in his walk and glaring at Philip with eyes snapping. You should go red, sir, with the shame. When God give you a voice like that, he would not have done so did he have foreseen that you would utter such a note as that. Oh, it is too much, too much. And again Professor Himmelstein strode away. He stopped at the window and glared down into the gloomy street. Philip, meanwhile, stood twiddling his thumbs and watching the professor in mild alarm and some little amusement. He never could quite understand the old musician's irritation over so trifling a thing as a false note. There, continued Himmelstein, after a moment's silence, you hear that? A huckster below was raucously bawling, Tatoes, apples, tatoes, apples. He make that voice, because a good God give him that voice, and give him no professor to show him better. But his voice sounded better to my ear than your voice when you do that, sir he added fiercely. You made like a cat. Philip giggled. Meow, 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 shrieked the professor in a horrible imitation of an impossible cat. While tearing his hair, he was dancing with rage. Philip tried to look serious. He saw that he had wounded the professor's feelings. Let's try it again, professor. I'll do my very best this time. So, the old man softened at once. Returning from the window, he took Philip's hand. Forgive me, my little boy. I was in heaven, and you pulled me down, too, to the streets with hucksters and carts. Already we shall begin again. They were still practicing when Miss Devereux entered the room quietly. Where is your mamma? she whispered to Marie. In her room, answered the child, rising and pointing to the door. 
Very well. I think, dear, I had better see her alone. Miss Devereux entered the next room, closing the door behind her, and was gone for some minutes. How is she, ma'am? asked the child when the nurse reappeared. Marie, do you know where Isabel is? I think, ma'am, she's praying in the church. Go for her at once, dear. The professor noticed that Miss Devereux was troubled. Is she very bad? he asked. I fear so. She must have absolute quiet, and no one but myself is to enter the room. Hurry, Marie. The professor, swathing his violin in silks, tenderly laid it away in the case. He looked grieved, for he had a genuine admiration for Mrs. Lachance. Opening the door, he glanced back and caught Philip's eye. So, he said with intense gloom. End of chapter 3